All right, good morning. Good morning. morning. Um, you know, let's start, we'll jump right in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure to stay on track so everybody has ample time to, who wants to get to the field won't feel rushed. Um, and, um, you know, let's start with a, a thought. Have you ever wondered what it means or, or what, what does sin cost God? Have you ever thought about that? So take a second, think about that, and I'll get situated. Okay, so, so what does sin cost God, right? We, we often hear and think about what it costs us, right? We know it costs us eternal life. We know it costs us uh, separation. You know, Paul taught us in Romans 6.23, right? The wages of sin is death. So we know all those things, right? Eternal su- suffering. But it's not supposed to be all about us, right? But do we ever think about that? What is God really, you know, giving up so, so we can be saved? So... You know, like things we, that we don't endure or suffer, we, we kind of take them for granted, right? I often talk about, you know, those who can walk, don't think about walking until you can't walk. Um, so God had no reason to, you know, uh, take on a cost of sin, but did anyway. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, and this is heavy, right? God made him, Jesus that knew no sin to be sin for us. That's a heavy sentence, right? You know, Jesus knew no sin. God knows no sin. And Jesus took on that role to be sin. Actually, not endure sin. Be sin. Become sin. That's heavy, right? So, you know, and all that was for us. It wasn't for God's benefit necessarily. It was for our benefit. So, to put that in perspective, imagine if you didn't know poverty, right? You're born with a silver spoon, you get the life of luxury, yachts, mansions, private jets, and then for the sake of us, you take on all the debts of the world. You take on the unpaid bills, the bill collectors hounding, and, and then you lose everything you have. It's all taken away, repo, right? Riches to rags. Would you want to do that for us, for everyone else but yourself? So what if you didn't know sickness, right? You took on all the illnesses of the world. What if you took on the painful, the incurable, the chronic, all that? For what? For someone else. So could you do it? Could you take on all the disturbances of the world? If you were always at peace, you only knew peace, could you take on every riot, battle, violence, angry mobs? Could you, could you take all that on? But that's what Jesus did. Jesus took all these kind of things on in our name and for our sake. So it's no wonder that Jesus pleaded, right? Father, if there was any other way, right? Um, we would be doing the same thing. So all benefits have a cost, right? Jesus got the cost, and we got the benefit. 
So that's something that, again, we shouldn't take too lightly. So what does grace cost? Well, you know, there's a, there's a sacrifice, right? When you jump into someone's problems or you jump in to help somebody, that's exhausting, right? And that's fractional, right? Jesus does that millions and millions times more than any jumping in that we've done. So it's a free gift to us, right? We just ask and we will receive. But it's an endless effort by God, endless. You know, the sacrifice by the Lamb of God, God's grace does all those things that we can't do on our own. Like things we can't do on our own. Salvation, right? That's, that's the big one. Right? But grace also helps us to get the wrong things out of our life. Right? Grace changes our hearts. Grace helps us grow in the spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit gives us that boost, right? And then Jesus gives us the salvation. And you know, God's thinking about us all the time. Right? Psalm 139 and it's really the entire psalm, but this is just a few lines from it. Psalm 139 says, You know when I sit and when I rise. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you know it completely. If I were to count your thoughts, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. You know, so those are just a few lines. And, and that's God thinking about us all the time before we were even born. But God's never finished, right? Because what happens is sin interferes with that connection. It's like static. You know, it scrambles the communication, the connection. Right? And, and if we think about how often God fights for us, you know, every time we realize it, it's 10,000 times that we don't realize or don't even know about it. So we only see the surface. So that's what sin does, and that's what God works to overcome. But why is this sin anyway? Why even have it, right? Well, we do know that hitting rock bottom is where we learn what's really important, right? So when we're stripped of everything, all those distractions that cloud our thoughts, that's when we learn how to really live. And unfortunately, some people, it's harder to learn than others. It takes a, more than one hit. Um, but the other thing is when your cup is filled with the wrong things, there's no room for the right things. You gotta empty it out. And, and that's what happens, right? When people hit rock bottom, they're empty. There's nothing left on purpose. There's nothing left, so there's room for the things that should be there. All right? So God watches us fall. And often only then 
Are we willing to get picked back up? That's what it takes. So if you think like that, does God give us sin? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a kind of a heavy question, right? The skeptics love to ask, well, if there's a loving God, why would a loving God create sin? That, that makes no sense. And some people reply, well, you have to know sin to know love. And, you know, and, you know, you got to be at the bottom before you can be at the top. And, you know, and the skeptics, they're hard to convince, right? So they respond, well, do you need to know war to know peace? Do you, know, you need to know sickness to know health? They're not very convinced that God, you know, didn't create sin. Or that it's all a fairy tale. So here's the response I give. I say, well, God didn't create sin. God doesn't even know sin. How do you create something you don't know or have never contacted with or never will? What brings sin is human desire. Right? A lack of direction invites it in. Right? When we're lost, the door's wide open. So we fall into sin by damaging what we already have. Okay? So sin's an undoing of God's work. It's a result. It's not a cause. It's not even necessarily an action. It's the outcome of an action. Okay, so here's, here's a real-life example. When you touch a hot stove, you get burnt skin, right? Well, did you create burnt skin? Or did the stove create burnt skin? I don't think you created anything. What you did was you damaged healthy skin, right? You undid the good skin. Just like sin. It undoes God's work. It undoes the skin God gave you. So that's what sin is, right? It's an undoing. It's touching what we shouldn't be touching, like the stove. But there's good news. That damage can be healed, restored. Okay? Okay? So we get back our healthy skin. We get back our God-given skin. We don't have to keep the damaged one. And it'll stay that way as long as we don't touch the stove again. But we lack self-control. We can't control ourselves, so we touch the stove again and again and again. We can't help it. We love to learn the hard way. So that's where Jesus comes in, right? When you flee from sin, you run towards God. And then we're healed by Jesus. And you know, healed is, comes in two ways. There's the H-E-A-L-E-D, healed like healthy. And then there's the healed E-E-L-E-D, meaning to hold back or restrained, like you tell you a dog, heal, okay? Jesus does both. But this is very important. You can't be healed, whether you spell it either way, you can't be healed from what you're not willing to give up. 
If you embrace it, it will own you. So, to be healed, first we have to stay away from what makes us unwell. We have to avoid that. And if we're not willing to do that, we will never, ever be free from it. And Jesus tells us, don't be hypocrites. Don't say, Jesus, Lord, please heal me, and then cling to those things that are dividing us. Jesus warns us, don't do that. Be serious. Don't be, don't be lukewarm. So Billy Graham asked this question. He says, what is repentance? Going to Billy Graham, he says, repentance is not saying, Lord, I'm sorry. It's not saying, please forgive me. That's not repentance. Repentance is making a change. Okay? Action speaks louder than words. So when you make a change, everything is washed away and made new again. Repentance is giving up those things that make us fall into sin. It's like pressure washing them out of our lives when we ask Jesus to cleanse us. So 1 Corinthians 10.13 has more good news. It teaches us no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. There was no one of us that is so special. We have special sin. It's common to all of us. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Okay? But with the temptation, God will also provide a way to escape so that you may be able to endure it. God gives us the escape hatch. And how do we thank God for that? We avoid temptation. That's the way to thank God for that escape. Okay? So we can't stop it, but we can avoid it. It's like a pothole. We can't stop the potholes, but how do we escape them? We go around them. We avoid them. Okay? Those things that bring us into sin are the same. But, you know, God has deep love for us, and, and that, that makes sin so painful for God. God suffers for our sins. When you love someone, their sins bother you, right? When somebody you love does something painful and hurtful, that bothers you. Can you imagine how much more it is with God's level of pure love? It's intense. So what does it mean to walk with the Lord? Well, when we walk with the Lord, we have to realize what God doesn't want in our lives. Okay? That's a key factor of that walk. But often when we find out what we need to give up, that's when we start to hesitate. Well, I didn't know I'd have to stop that. And, this is odd, but the closer you draw to the Lord, the more sinful you will feel. You think you'd feel less sinful? You feel more sinful. Why? Because you're, 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 you're aware. You're touched by the Holy Spirit. You're alert. You know what it is now, instead of being naive. And then when you know, when you know about it, you know of it, you can, you can resist it. Because the atheist doesn't feel sin, doesn't feel any shame. Right? The atheist doesn't feel guilt. If you don't have faith, you don't feel regret. 
You don't even know you're doing it. You're unaware. And the non-believer either doesn't know or they won't admit that they're a sinner. John 1.5 tells us, The light shineth in darkness, but the darkness comprehend it not. They don't know. The light, the light is shining on them and they don't even know it. So, the believer, the saved, they know better, but we still come up short. For a lot of reasons. Sometimes we fall by accident. Didn't see it coming, we step right into it. Caught us off guard. Sometimes we even fall by choice, right? We make bad decisions. No self-control. The flesh is weak. You know, we, we hurt ourselves. Sometimes we're forced into falling. We're pressured or someone pushes our buttons to the breaking point, we lose our witness. And then sometimes we're, we fall by falsehoods. We're misled. We're lured into it. We're lied to. None of us will ever be perfect, but we can strive to be better. That's the difference. Okay, continuous improvement every day. So if you think about it, what's the difference between the saved and the unsaved. Both are full of flaws, both are sinners, both have all these same elements. But the difference is the unsaved don't even try. So following the Lord means we follow a narrow path. Right? Words, actions, decisions, everything, right? And as you drawn closer to God, you find out that your worldly actions get less popular, right? Because they're not what everybody else is doing. So Matthew 7, 13 says, right? We enter by the narrow gate, few who find it. And you know, for all the time that's gone by since that was written, it still applies. It's still true. There are few who find it. It's amazing how that still describes our world. So Jesus is the only way to God. Right? Jesus is that narrow gate. So to me, probably the second most famous quote in the Bible is John 14, 6. Right? I am the way, the truth, and truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus says that to us. But if you think about that, you know, peel back the onion a little bit and look deeper. Jesus isn't saying, I'm one of the ways or I'm the best way. Jesus is saying, I'm the only way. Jesus is the only way. Well, what happens when someone's the only way to something? Well, if that one way fails, everything fails. That's, that's a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility. So, we're fortunate we have a Jesus that can take on that role. Again, anyone would want to stand up and say, I'll be responsible for everybody of all time? Um, not many of us. So God gives us lots of second chances, third, fourth, fifth, 90th. Right? Why so many cha- chances? 
it's to give us time to change. We get lots of chances because God knows that we learn the hard way and it takes a lot of tries to get it right. Because we're stubborn, right? And sometimes we need tough love. We have to, we have to take the hit to wake up. So Jesus gives us a chance to change ourselves. And it's always baby steps, right? A little bit at a time, one step at a time, two steps forward, one step back. Right? We creep towards the Lord. But we've got to feel the need for Jesus to want Jesus. If we don't feel that need, we're not going to have the desire. And that's why we need to stay close, right? Jesus teaches us, you know, we can't live by bread alone. We need reinforcements. So, more good news is the Lord will always meet us where we are. Right? If, but if we're willing, right? Never says if we have to be able, because we're not able. We have to be willing. The Lord will meet us where we are if we're willing. And God loves each of us like we're the only one. The one and only There's no competition, no comparisons. We aren't the 99, we're the one. And Jesus never says no to our salvation. Never says too busy, I'm maxed out, I'm at capacity. You never get a no. So no matter how crumpled or dirty, worn, torn, bottomless, God sees our value underneath all that. Why else would Jesus come? God didn't see our value, Jesus wouldn't have been sent. So to God, we're worth it. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Perfect person, that's impossible. Being sinless, can't do that. Going to church, that helps. We need a little more, though. Reading the Bible, that helps a lot too, but still need to get it all together. So those things all bring us to follow Jesus, right? Going to church, reading the Bible, feeling connected. That stuff all brings us to Jesus. And the key is Jesus does what we're not capable of. So being Christian means to run towards the word of God and away from the words of the world. So Matthew 4, 4, Jesus tells us, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So what does that really mean? Now, when I read that, I say, well, Jesus is the bread of life. We know that. And we, we need more than just the bread of life. So again, that's a little jolting. We need more than Jesus. Well, Jesus is reminding him, Jesus himself is reminding us that we need reinforcement. We can accept, but we need something to keep us connected. So not being able to live by bread alone or not being able to live by Jesus alone. And here, live means eternal life, right? We cannot live an eternal life by Jesus alone 
Why? Because God knows we would, we would slip away. Would, we wouldn't have the assistance to keep us connected. So we need Jesus and the Word of God to keep us on track. We need both. So we won't have eternal life if we don't stay focused, if we don't keep close, if we don't keep improving. We won't have that eternal life. And, and this is a, a little bit of a heavy thought, but, but I think it applies, right? Pastor hit on this like a month ago, a little bit. I, we'll expand it. For those that accept Jesus as our Savior, the world is the only hell we will ever know. And for those who reject the Lord, the world is as close to heaven as they will ever get. That's, that's something to think about, right? So what it's saying is, right, for the believer and the faithful, it gets better. And for the foolish, it gets worse. But think about that. Believer and non-believer, we're both in the same place. We have all the same problems. But we're headed in opposite directions. So... If you're ever thinking about, you know, is this all worth it? Say, so would you want this world to be your heaven? That's probably self-evident. So Psalm 34.19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers from them all. So it says the righteous don't get to escape the affliction, what we do is we get to be pulled out of it. And Jesus pulls us out. And now we walk in faith, not by sight, right? So why is that? Well, that's how incredible God's design is. If we walk by sight, our salvation would constantly be changing. Every time there's a bad event, every time there's a struggle, it'd be chipped away at. It wouldn't be consistent. But when we walk in faith, we have that consistency. Faithful Jesus never slips away, doesn't get chipped at. And faithful God never fails us. So when we walk by faith, we have that consistency and and stability. And again, if we walk by sight, we fail, right? We, We can't escape ourselves. We follow us around everywhere we go. Right? There's no, there's no haven. There's no safe harbor. Okay? And thankfully, we have a faithful God and a nonstop Jesus. Right? That gives us that sanctuary. So, God's constantly instructing us away from our temptations. We get warned, right? Proverbs 23.20 says, Do not join those who drink too much wine and gorge themselves. In other words, don't live in excess. Also, Proverbs 28, 7 says, A discerning son heeds instruction. In other words, listens to the word of God. But a companion of gluttons disgraces the father. So God's telling us, you know, let's control ourselves. Gluttony is the lack of self-control. And God's intentional. 
Right? There's a plan for every human life since conception. There's no accidents. There's nothing done, you know, by chance. And then Jesus, crushed, betrayed, scorned, beaten, condemned. Jesus still chooses to love and forgive the very ones that brought that upon him. I have to think there's no higher level of forgiveness than to forgive your attackers or those that hurt you. And if you want to test that, ask yourself, could you be a blessing to someone who hurt you? Could you empty out your bank account for somebody that persecuted you? Jesus does that all the time. So Jesus came to change lives. Forgiveness is part of that process of changing lives. And we've all heard the, you know, the scripture that says, for all things are possible with God. Well, if you think about that, you say, you know what? That's us. Our salvation is what's possible. Our salvation is all things. It's everything. So we know God was not willing that anyone should perish, right? All be saved. That takes a constant effort by Jesus and by us in reaction to that. There's no stopping. There's no quitting. Right? God is faithful. God doesn't quit. We shouldn't either. So Jesus took on the sins of the world, not just on the cross on Good Friday. Jesus takes on the sins of the world every day, every minute, every second, right this moment and forever. So Jesus loves us all while we're still sinners, right? Paul teaches us. And Jesus takes us, right? Well, we're dirty, we're messy, we're in a bad place. Doesn't say, you need a pre-wash. Clean yourself up and we'll talk. Um, and true love is shown in actions, not words. Right? Anybody can say things, but Jesus practiced what he preached. We do things like, I love you, man. Don't ask me for anything excessive, though. I, I have boundaries. Right? Don't, don't invade my space. All right? What's Jesus say? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. No qualifiers. No what ifs. No as long as. And what does that bring to Jesus? Problems? Trouble? So we give Jesus our defeat, and Jesus gives us his victory. Doesn't sound like a fair trade. So, Jesus died a sinner so that we could be restored. So that's love beyond comprehension. And the resurrection is our restoration. Don't spend it foolishly. The best advice I ever got was accept the free gift and work at it all the time. Amen? 
So let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus, giving us a way out, giving us something that can take away our sin and, and make us new again. It can wash us clean. And we know, not easy. We have to walk away from a lot of things. We have to sometimes explain to people what we're all about. And we are blessed that we have your word, we have Jesus' actions, and we have all that to provide for our salvation. So we may have eternal life. And this world will not be our heaven. So we thank you for all these things, and we love and praise you through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.